Today, we, uh, we end our series, our Summer in the Psalms series, and we do that in uh, Psalm 90. And so I'll read it in just a few minutes, but you can turn to it uh, in your Bibles. It's Psalm number 90, and uh, Psalm 90 is actually the, uh, the only psalm that we have recorded in the whole book of Psalms written by Moses. So we've seen a lot of psalms written by King David. He wrote most of them. And there were a a few others written by some other people that were part of leading worship in the temple. But this is a psalm of Moses. And in your Bible it probably also says that uh, this is uh, a prayer of Moses. It's a prayer of his that was put to music. The man of God. So if Scripture says, if God says this is written, this is a prayer written out, by the man of God, then I think we should listen, right? And pay attention. And so it is the oldest of all the Psalms, probably written um, maybe, uh, probably during the time that he was in the desert with the people of Israel. It gives us a unique perspective. But our word for the day is time. You remember when you were little and, and you would watch Sesame Street and they would say, Sesame Street is brought to you by, and they'd have a word for the day? I always like to have at least one word that can stick with us if we don't remember anything else. What was that word the pastor kept talking about today? Our word is time, because that's the word that God has for us through his servant Moses in Psalm 90. And so in Psalm 90, Moses is going to remind us about the essence of time, And about perspective. That's important. The perspective of time contrasting our understanding of time and God's understanding of time. And I think we have all struggled with that difference in life. Amen? About things that we are looking forward to and things that we would like to see happen in our time frame. But God always seems to have a a different perspective on time. Right, And so we're going to be looking at uh, Psalm 90, and we'll just briefly go through each of the sections of uh, this Psalm 90 to, to kind of see what it, it says for us and, and what Moses has to say. And then, of course, we will uh, spend time on the application part. What does this mean to us? A Psalm words written so many thousands of years ago, what kind of relevance do they have for our life today? And so he's going to tell us, God is, through his servant Moses, about time. Did you ever just kind of take stock? Every once in a while it's good to do this. Maybe you do it in in the beginning of the new year. But take stock of how you spend your time. Perhaps this time during uh, the COVID quarantine, whatever that looked like for you, perhaps it gave you the opportunity to kind of sit back and think about how you spend time. Your time. You know, um, I got this information I'm about to give you from the internet, so you know it must be true. And so that's my source, I like to give my sources, and so this is sort of compiled from a whole bunch of resources. But how does the average American spend their time throughout their lifetime? So if we go on the average lifespan of 80 years old, what would you say is the thing that we spend most of our time doing 
Sleeping. Now, I think you say that because it's the thing we, we most love to do, right? Sleeping. And, uh, and of course, we don't want to practice that here during our time together. You have plenty of time to do that. But do you know that, and you're all right, it is sleeping, we spend 33 years of our lifespan, if it's an average of, of 80 years, 33 years sleeping. You believe that? So it's actually 26 years sleeping and 7 years trying to fall asleep. Right? Isn't that something? Adding up to 33 years in bed, either sleeping or trying to get to sleep. Isn't that amazing? If we just think about how we spend our time. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you feel like you sleep too much. Right? Maybe you get out of bed and you're just like, man, I need to redeem some time because I... I see all these people doing so many things, you know, where, where we live near the beach. There's a lot of people that walk by. They're walking to and from the beach, walking by and exercising, walking their dogs, biking. And, and I might get up and, and there's already like a ton of people going around. I'm like, man, what time do these people get up? But I think they are redeeming the time. But 33 years spent either sleeping or trying to get to sleep. What do you think would be the next thing that we spend most of our time doing? These are just a few of the things. Working. Boy, you guys, you read the internet stuff just like me. I guess you know it, right? 13 years at work. Now, we're just talking about jobs, like your job, your career, what you do to to make money vocationally. About 13 years over those 80 years at work, right? Now, I think some of us are thinking that first number 33, I do some of that at work as well. I sleep at work. Hopefully not. But isn't that an amazing 13 years, uh, if you put it all together, out of our 80 are spent at work. And then listen to this, 12 years. Now, this is about three years old, this, this data, this information. So I'm sure it's more. 12 years worth of our lives sitting in front of a screen. It's either TV, watching something, a lot of that I I would say is probably, you know, we're talking about computer now too, a computer screen, about eight and a half years, watching something, about three and a half years on social media. And that's why I think in the last three years, since we got these statistics, it's probably a lot more, right? But about 12 years sitting in front of some kind of screen. And I think during our time of quarantine, we, we probably ratcheted up that number, right? Just doing so many things virtually. But that's a lot. I actually have special a special coating on my glasses that helps to protect my eyes from the strain of that light that the computer screen gives off. Some of you probably have that as well. But I mean, they have to invent that because people spend so much time staring at the screen. About four and a half years eating <coughs> and one and a half years exercising. But that's about right. Isn't that amazing? So it's just an idea to think about, get us thinking about how do we spend our time. That's what I want you to be kind of thinking about, asking yourself as we read Psalm 90. You know, Martin Luther said this over 500 years ago. He said, I have so much to do today that I need to spend the first three hours in prayer. Wouldn't that be great if we could all kind of approach our, our hours like that? But it's kind of that idea like, you know, too busy not to pray type of thing, right? But, I mean, you get up and you think, man, I got so much to do today is our first reaction. I got so much going on. I got to spend a couple of hours with God, right? Isn't that what he would want, though? 
And we know we've all been there. When we do that, especially on a consistent basis, don't we just feel better? We can be more effective and productive with our time. And of course, as we grow closer to the Lord and walking with Him more consistently and in a closer walk with Jesus, that we realize that I do think that we spend our time more wisely. You know, we always complain about not having enough time, but we act as if we have all the time in the world, don't we? So Psalm 90, uh, it marks the beginning of the last section of the book of Psalms. It is called the prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now a little bit about Moses, and then we'll, we'll read the psalm. It says, you know, this is, this is a psalm of Moses. So who is Moses? I think we all have a general idea, but of course Moses is a man of God chosen by him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. We know that whole Exodus story. Chosen to bring redemption to the people of Israel and is therefore for us looking back in history a type of Christ. A foreshadowing. See that Moses was chosen by God to bring redemption for his people, just like God chose Jesus to do that. Moses was the giver of the law, the Ten Commandments, a mediator of God between God and Israel in that first covenant. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. We call it the Pentateuch, Penta for five, right? So Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We know also about Moses, you can uh, very conveniently divide his life into three groups of 40 years. The first 40 years he spent growing up in the, in the palace of Pharaoh in Egypt, right? Learning the ways, being uh, treated and raised as the son of Pharaoh. When he finds out that he truly is a Hebrew, he spends the next 40 years in the wilderness. We'll talk about that for a moment. And then the last 40 years of his life, being used of God to redeem the people from slavery. Isn't that amazing? He was 80 years old when God called him and said, Go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So God is never done with us. Amen. Forty years, it's a long time. But you know, I think God, in many ways, sent Moses to the desert, a time of isolation, a type of quarantine, if you will, to humble him. Because remember, Moses tried to take matters into his own hands, something we know nothing about, right? When he thought that he could really redeem his people by killing that Egyptian soldier. Remember that? And so God sent him in the desert for many reasons, but one of them was to get his attention, to teach him some things about himself and about God. See, God had a plan. This is important for us. God had a plan to use Moses for his glory to, to work out God's will to bring redemption to the people of Israel. But God had to work on Moses first. It took about 40 years. So he sent him to a place out of his comfort zone, out of what he was used to, a place in the wilderness, the desert, that he would then know very well for the next 40 years as he led the people of Israel. But he spent those first 40 years in the desert learning and growing and serving God, being humbled. You ever look back at your life, see how you spent your time and how God has dealt with you? And can you can see a time or times in your life where God has needed to humble you? 
and maybe taken you out of your comfort zone, done something, put you in a place or a position or a situation that you just didn't expect, you didn't see coming, how did you receive that time? If we remember that God is not leaving us or forsaking us, we know that He never will, then what would God be up to with somebody like Moses or with us giving us time in isolation like that, in quarantine almost, giving Him time to think, time to become humble? Forty years is a long time, but in our sinful nature it often takes us a long time to learn humility, doesn't it? It's not like God just says you need to learn humility. We say, yes, thank you, God. We're good. What's next? It takes time. Sometimes God will break us down so he can build us back up. See, Moses wanted to change things on his own, but he needed time to reflect on that. We often want to spend our time the way we want to do it. We want to alter the course of our life And just kind of leaving God out of it. Except maybe some of the important aspects. Moses needed to be reminded that God doesn't see time the way he does. So in Psalm 90, we get a good perspective from Moses on the idea of time. So the question for you as I read Psalm 90. What has this time in quarantine in isolation, this time out of your normal routine, how has it changed you and your perspective on how you use your time? Here is Psalm 90. Lord, I have been, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us 
and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amazing how often Moses uses the word time or alludes to a span of time, talking about days and years. See, that's his theme. You can just picture what's going on in his head. God, what have you done throughout my lifetime? And here I am wandering in the, in the wilderness with these people you have called me to. And I am one of them, my brothers and sisters. And we are wandering. God, what is your plan for the rest of the time that I have? And we can ask that question of God at any point in our life. Whether we're 10 or 20, whether we're 40 or 50 or 80 or 90, we can come before God and say, God, I look back and I see that the way that I have spent time, but God, I want to spend my time for you. How is the best way that we can do that? You can see Moses kind of reflecting, right? Reflecting on his use of time and what God has done in his life. And he is simply first recognizing that He and God are very different when it comes to time. See, God is infinite. He always has existed. Remember Genesis in the beginning, God. God has always existed. He exists now. He always will. He has no beginning or end. He is the Alpha and Omega. But we as humans, boy, our time is short. And Moses reflects on that in his prayer. In his poem, reflects. It's kind of like grass like in the morning boy we're all good and by evening it kind of withers and he's saying that's kind of our lifespan it's almost like a day but he's like god with you a thousand years in your sight is kind of like yesterday right as if it is and so he's trying to give us this perspective see god looks at time very differently in church it's really important to remember God is the creator of time. Did he not create the universe in six days? And on the seventh day, he rested and said it was very good. I believe he did that in 24-hour days, just like we experience them now. But God set forth time. He created time, but that also means that he is not subject to time. See, it's his creation So he is not bound by time the way that we are. Does that make sense? But see, that's really important for us to remember. When we pray to God to answer a prayer, God, you have promised to care for me. You'd never leave me or forsake me. When are you going to do that? See, what we learn about time is that God is not bound by time. If God makes a promise, whether it is to the nation of Israel or it is to us as his believers in the church, see... He makes promises. Like we heard earlier, He promises to come back, right? And that's probably the promise we think about most. Jesus said He would come back, but when is that going to be? It's been over 2,000 years. We we watch the news and we're like, it's got to be now. How much more can He tolerate? See, that's our framework, our our perspective of time. But see, God is long-suffering. God is merciful. He allows time to go on because He wants more people saved, doesn't He? He wants more people redeemed. I mean, that's His heart. But see, God isn't bound by time. Like, we want Him to return. We want to see the rapture in our day. We want there to be an end to all of the strife and the suffering. But God tarries just a little bit longer 
because he is not bound by time. But yet, if he makes a promise, he will fulfill that promise, but in his time. In his time. So God will keep his promises, but he will do it in his time because he is not bound by the restrictions of time like we are. Right? And so, verses 1 and 2, we'll kind of go through it quickly and get to our more of our application here in the end. Verses 1 and 2, Moses emphasizes the eternal nature of God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In verses 3 to 6, Moses speaks of the fragile nature of humanity. If he is God, we are not. Verse 3, you return man to dust. You you sweep us away as with a flood. We're kind of just like a dream, a passing dream. I hardly ever remember my dreams. Do you remember your dreams? Some people remember their dreams a lot, very vividly. I hardly ever remember dreaming. They say we all do. I don't remember it. But it says in verse 6, in the morning, we kind of flourish and renewed in the, by the evening and fades and withers. It's kind of like a day. But for God, that's like a thousand years, see? So God is eternal, and we are not. Verses 7 to 8, Moses emphasizes our sinful nature and our, our sinfulness before a perfect God. Because there, there will be judgment on sin. But see, for us, we realize and accept the fact that Jesus paid that price. Jesus took upon himself that judgment so we do not have to fear it or take that judgment because of sin. But yet, God is still judge and he will return. When he returns, he will return as judge. But we don't need to fear. Can we say amen to that? We don't need to fear that judgment. But look at verse 12. Maybe the key verse in this whole passage. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. A great verse to memorize. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What's he saying there? Help us to number our days. It doesn't mean that we just kind of look at a calendar and count down until that day. We don't know that day. But he says, what would he mean by that? Teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. I think it means to use our time more wisely. To redeem the time that he has gifted us. Let us number our days. Let us wake up each morning and be thankful for a brand new day of life. Because he does not promise tomorrow. But He gives us a new day. You wake up and say, thank you, Lord, for this new day. How are we going to use it for Him? Because we really have two choices in life, churches. We can live each day for ourselves, or we can live each day for Him and for His glory. Moses, in verses 13 to 17, he concludes by just praying for God's grace upon His people. And he says in verse 13, almost as if like, Without God, of course, our work amounts to nothing. He says, let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands. I love that phrase. Lord, this is a great, a great phrase to use in your prayer. Lord, establish the work of my hands. Establish the work of my hands. May the work that I do with my hands today, may it bless you and lead to something eternal. It's how we use our time. Establish the work of my hands. Establish 
Next week we start our series in Genesis called Foundations. We need to establish those foundations. Because if you're going to have a vision for the future, if you want to see the vision, you want to look to the future and see what you're going to be doing for God and you're going to have a vision for those goals you're going to set to be used of God for His glory, then you need to be looking with a firm foundation. If you try to see into the distance and you're rocking like you're on a boat, if the foundation is crumbling beneath you and it is not steady or stable, are you going to have a clear vision of the future? You will not. We need to have a firm foundation. So Moses ends by saying, establish the work of my hands. May all that we put our hands to, may all that we set out to do be established by him, meaning may it be from him and for him. In Psalm 90, Moses focuses on God's greatness our human weakness, and our need for God to provide grace for our daily lives. Church, listen, grace is not just for that moment of salvation. We talk about being saved, right? By grace you have been saved through faith, but grace does not end there, church. Grace is every day. Grace is a daily thing. Like His mercies are new every morning, His grace is new every morning He gives you. We need to walk in grace. So some other scriptures, very briefly, I'll, I'll read these out to you. They'll be on the screen as well. Some other scriptures, Old and New Testament, that look at time. Time from God's perspective, our perspective, and our use of time, alright? Here we go. So this is Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Does that sound appropriate for today? Doesn't it? So he says, be very careful. Making the most of every opportunity. Ecclesiastes 12.1 Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. He's saying before it's too late. Remember God is your Creator. Keep that in perspective. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of what? Of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. How do we use our time? How do we use our words? Do you season your words with salt so that it's, it's flavorful and that, and that it's attractive to others? Because, you know, sometimes if we admit it, sometimes we don't season our words with salt. Sometimes we might season it with, like, cayenne pepper. Or, you know, something, very, right? Something unappealing, something that catches people. Sometimes it's with words that, that can tear down, that can burn a hole through somebody rather than lifting them up or making yourself more seasoned, right? Seasoned with salt, he says. James 4, 13 to 15. Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Is that part of your habit? To be thinking like that? Isn't that interesting? Right in James, it's, it says it's foolish for people to say, oh, I'm going to go do this and this and this without even... 
bringing God into it. He says, it's better to say, if the Lord wills, we will go and do this and that. For what is your life? Sounds just like, like he read Psalm 90, right? Isn't it great? You go home and say, what did Pastor Keith tell you today? Well, he told me my, my life is like a mist. And uh, it's kind of like, it, it's like grass, it withers and, and that's it. It's about a day and that's about it. And I spend a third of my life sleeping. That's what I learned today, right? Great. I'm glad, I'm glad I could encourage you today. But it's all about perspective. So how about Psalm 127? It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. See, there's a good one. You're trying to fall asleep. God loves to give you good, restful sleep. He wants you to sleep. He says it's in vain if you get up early and you go to bed late. You don't get the rest that you need. Eating the bread of anxious toil. How about that for a phrase? Let that sink in. Do we eat the bread of anxious toil? We do. Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. It means look to the ant. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, the ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long are you going to lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Yesterday, I was out doing some yard work, and, and after lunch, I sat on the couch. And that's a bad re- recipe. You're out in the sun all day working, and then you have a meal, and then you sit down on the couch. Then what happens? Then you take a nap. And I remembered that this morning. I was, I was rereading this, and I had to laugh because here's how I fell asleep. My hands folded. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Right? This, the, the writer of Proverbs is saying, like, that's what we say. It's all right. I'll just take a little nap. I'll sleep a little bit. Now, naps are good. Psalm 127, God says He wants to give us that rest. But again, it's all about perspective. How are we using our time? It's kind of like this. Church, if you, if you had a bank account that every morning was credited to you $1,440. Let's say you woke up every day and in your bank account was a fresh new $1,440. But at the end of the day, the balance you didn't use would not carry over. What would you do? Well, I think you would go in the, in the morning as soon as the bank opened and you would withdraw the money, right? To use it. You want to use it. Use it to your advantage. Well, it's kind of, in essence, what we have with time. Every morning, God credits to us 1,440 minutes. That's how many minutes in 24 hours. But see, every night it resets. You don't get to pull an overdraft and you can't draw against tomorrow's minutes. It's what you have for today. How are you going to use what's in there? And the last passage for Ecclesiastes 3. Some of you might start singing a song in your head when I read this. Especially some some of us that are older. There is a time for everything. And a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a a time to build. A time to weep and a, a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. 
A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. But nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear Him. How are you looking at the time that God has given you? You know, as we move into a time of communion, as we often call this gathering around the Lord's table, you'll notice that there is a communion cup placed either in front of you or under your chair. It's a combined cup. It has a wafer on the top and the juice next. So in a moment, I'll give you those instructions. And just as you open the top for the wafer, make sure you take just the top off. But I want you to hear these words, church, from Galatians chapter 4. Just listen as you prepare, to, as we close our time with communion and then a closing song of worship. Please listen to Galatians 4. We talk about time. Well, God's timing is not only different from ours, but God's timing is perfect, isn't it? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Friends, it was in the fullness of time that God sent forth Jesus, His Son. It could not have been a day earlier or a day later that Jesus was born. For it was in the fullness of time. When it was God's perfect timing, listen please, God fulfilled the promise of old to send a Redeemer. God made that promise. The people of Israel waited, and they waited, and they waited. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son to redeem those who were under the law. But see, now we're under grace. That we can call out, Abba, Father, no longer a slave, but an heir through God. I'm going to pray for the bread and for the cup that you have there in front of you. These are the elements that we use in what we call communion. These are the elements that Jesus gave to us, His church. He says to take and to eat. 
as often as we gather together to do it in remembrance of Him. Because you remember that night before He was betrayed so many years ago that that He was with His closest friends, His disciples. He spent three and a half years with them and He was instructing them one last time. He was enjoying the Passover meal with them one last time. And He broke some bread and He said, this is representing my body which I'm about to give for you. And, And then He passed the cup and he prayed and he said, this cup represents my blood. It's the blood of a new covenant. But he also says that as often as we do this, we eat the bread and drink the cup, we remember the Lord's death. And that's what we're going to do now. So take a few moments after I pray to listen to the music to reflect on what the bread and the cup mean to you. And then I will take us into eating the bread and drinking the cup together. Because this is something that Jesus gave for the church to do together. For every believer. To take and to eat in remembrance of Him. Father, I thank You. I thank You for giving us this example. Thank you for showing us the way as you did your disciples and for instructing us to do this whenever we get together. For as we take the bread and we drink the cup, we are remembering you. So Lord, I am asking that you would bless us now as we take just a few moments to reflect, to remember what actually had to happen so that we could have the gift of eternal life in you. We remember the cross. Remember the pain and the suffering. We read about it. We can only imagine what Jesus actually experienced. But Lord, in our silence now, bring our minds to that place. Help us to reflect on the way that we spend our time now and in the way that we spend each moment that you give us each and every day. We want to honor you with this time and with all of our time.